So we're going through this book, and just as a recap for those of you that are uh, not here or don't normally pay attention, uh, the people of God are in exile, and they have been taken into Babylon. They are in captivity, and they're having to figure out what does it look like to live as God's people in a country, in an empire that is not God's, that does not honor God, does not worship God, does not follow God, does not share the beliefs, values, practices, and God that they do. What does that look like? And this book is written to give strength to people that find themselves there. It's written to give guidance. It's written to give wisdom. It's written to give endurance to people that find themselves in that place. And that is similar to where we find ourselves. The New Testament uses that kind of metaphor of exile to describe where Christians find ourselves. And I want you to think for a moment, just kind of imagine that you're here. And imagine what would be difficult about that. You're walking around Babylon. What would be hard if you are one of God's people and now you find yourself in this place, in this city? What would be hard? Probably, as you look around, you see this amazing empire. You see this beautiful place the, with some of the seven wonders of the world. And it probably feels attractive. Maybe I should just be a part of this. Why keep resisting? This is amazing. And, and maybe part of you, as you look around, feels, has my God lost? Did we lose? Am I on the wrong side? I have all these beliefs. I have all these things that I value. But am I on the, the wrong side? Am I right? Is my God the, the one true God? You find yourself maybe in that place. Or maybe as you look around and you see some of your people facing hostility and facing persecution, you wonder, can I keep doing this? Can I continue? Can I actually be faithful in this place? We experience some of those same feelings as we walk around, as we look around, as we walk through Denver or Vada or our cities. We experience some of the same. Because as we look around, what, are we, what do we see? We're flooded with the bad all the time. You look at the news, you look at the headlines, we're flooded with all of these bad things and can wonder, am I on the wrong side? Is Christianity really good? Is Christianity really going to win? Is God really on our side? You're flooded with bad stuff that we see all the time. We're also flooded with good stuff that appeals to our hearts that can feel like, man, it might be better to just go along with this. There's a vision of life and prosperity and health and excitement and fun and wealth. And we can just go, maybe I should just kind of go along with Babylon. We're flooded with images. We're flooded with values all the time that speak to us, the positive, the negative. In our perception, what we see and how we perceive reality our perception will lead our life our perception of things causes us to make choices and some of us might as we are looking around and living in our babylon we may make choices to isolate to say this is kind of too much the world's evil the world's bad i'm just going to separate myself or we may integrate to say i'm just going to be a part of this that would be a lot easier It'd be a lot easier to just go along. Or we may just kind of have 
This isn't actually a word. Spellcheck keeps telling me. But we may indignate, which is just to have indignation, just be angry, just kind of look around and uh, feel mad about everything that's around us. Some of those tendencies are probably what we experience as we look around and see Babylon. I don't know what it is that you feel or which of those you kind of are drawn more towards, an isolation, an integration, an indignation. But what we see and how we perceive it will influence us. We know this in all sorts of different areas, right? That what you focus on, what you see influences your choices. And if we want to be faithful, if we want to be faithful as God's people where we find ourselves, if that's what we desire, and I think if you're a Christian, that is what you desire. If you want to be faithful, we have to see rightly. But a lot of times we actually miss reality. We see good. We see bad. We're flooded with things. We're, we're living in the middle of this place. So our vision is filled with stuff, but we actually often miss reality. We often actually miss what is true. What's really going on. And if you don't see correctly, you won't have wisdom. If you don't see correctly, you won't be able to make good choices. You won't, you won't even feel correctly. You won't perceive reality right. So your emotions will be off. Your decisions will be off. How you think about what's going on will be off. If we want to be faithful, we have to actually see reality. That's why I love, I don't know if you enjoy these things, but I, I love things that are kind of behind the scenes uh, sort of things, whether those are documentaries or even kind of exposés that show you here's what's really going on. Uh, maybe, I don't remember when it was, maybe five years ago or something, there was a documentary about SeaWorld called uh, Blackfish. I don't know if any of you saw that. And it just goes through and talks about all the horrible mistreatment of these whales. And you're like, what? I thought they... I thought all the whales wanted to be in captivity. I don't understand. Like, it shouldn't actually be that mind-blowing. I thought they just liked to dance. I thought that just came naturally. I didn't think electricity caused that. And you, it, but it kind of shows this expose of, here's this wonderful, beautiful thing for family and friends, and you can come and enjoy. Behind the scenes, what's really going on? Something bad. And that might change then if you decide to go to sea. Maybe it won't. You'll just go, yeah, this is great. But it might change some of the decisions that you make. Or uh, I, I, don't, I remember showing my kids, we were watching uh, Lord of the Rings and then the Marvel movies, and not all at once, but we were watching kind of some of that stuff. And I was showing them, this was several years ago, but kind of how CGI works. And I don't know if you've seen some of these things. Our, our uh, big projector's not working. But the, in the movie, you've got like all the, the good guys fighting Thanos. In reality, it's like a green curtain they're fighting, you know? It's like, oh, that's not as exciting, you know? It kind of, it's not, when you look behind the scenes, you say something that looked amazing is actually just a green foam you know, device. It's not actually as amazing. Or when you look at some CGI stuff, it's something that's totally scary and something that's awful. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's, that is terrifying. Like, ah, it's just actually code. No one's head got cut off. It's just ones and zeros. And it's, it's not as terrifying when you look behind the scenes. When you look at things and you're able to see what's actually going on, when you can see reality, it changes things. It might change your choices not to go to SeaWorld. It might change your choices and not be as in awe or as scared. It might change your choices 
in, uh, I remember re- uh, watching recently, there was a, uh, a, a show about the making of The Godfather. If you've ever seen The Godfather, great classic movie. Uh, we got some fans of The Godfather. So it's a great, great film. And there's a show that they did about the making of The Godfather. Not a documentary, but a show kind of showing everything that went into it. And so there's, uh, that's kind of another angle of a behind the scenes. And you actually have more appreciation for something. You go, wow, I just watched a movie. But it took all of this, took years and years and these deals and this to actually produce this product. So sometimes when you see reality, it can give you a greater appreciation for something. It might change your choices not to do something. It might give you a greater appreciation. It might make you not as scared or not as in awe. I love reading biographies. Uh, sometimes when you read a biography, you see all these horrible things that happen in someone's life, and yet you keep reading and then go, oh, but this turned them into this kind of person. So sometimes when you see behind the scenes, you get to see this is just a moment in time, but I know what it's going to lead to. So I love seeing reality exposés, behind the scenes, whatever it is. I love to actually see reality as it is because it helps us to feel right and make right choices and change things. That's what we need to be faithful in. If you and I want to be faithful, we have to see reality as it really is. And even though we are bombarded, flooded with the good and the bad all the time, oftentimes we miss reality. And we won't be able to be faithful if our perception is off. So all of that is to lead us to this chapter. All of that is to lead us to Daniel chapter 7. And let me just tell you this. The first six chapters, the first six chapters of Daniel, if you were here for those, those are a lot of the classic stories. Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendy Joe. They're all, you know, all all those different things. It's all these kind of classic stories, okay? Now we make a turn for the, the next half of the book, and it's a crazy LSD mushroom trip. It's, it's not normal, okay? It's wild stuff. So if you thought, by the way, if you came in here and you're like, you know what, Christianity's a joke, but I'm going to give it a shot. I've heard they're weird, but I'm going to just give it a shot. Today might confirm your opinions that were, that were bizarre, okay? So go listen to the first six chapters, and you're like, oh, okay, this isn't so bad. This is kind of normal. But right now, it's going to get weird, okay? So the next several Sundays are going to be strange. Just want you to know that. But it's Halloween, so it kind of matches, so it's all right, okay? So that's what's going to happen, but it's okay. God wants to speak to us in in different ways. He gives us kind of these stories, and then he gives us weird LSD trips, and it's it's okay. And I'm not, by the way, I'm I'm being uh, metaphorical. I'm not saying weird LSD trips are okay. So I'm going to read this. You're going to think it's strange. That's okay. Daniel thought it was super strange, too. So here we go. Daniel chapter 7. This will help us, by the way, the whole point is, this is going to help us see reality as it really is. Because we have to see reality to be faithful. So what is reality? Here's Daniel 7. In the first year of King Belshazzar, by the way, this is kind of going back in time now. So in Daniel chapter 6 that we had read, Belshazzar is already dead. A new empire has taken over. But this is going back in time. In the first year of King Belshazzar of Babylon, Daniel had a dream with visions in his mind as he was lying in his bed. He wrote down the dream, and here is the summary of his account. Daniel said, In my vision at night, I was watching, and suddenly the four winds of heaven stirred up the great sea. Four huge beasts, 
came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion, but had eagle's wings. I continued watching until its wings were torn off. It was lifted up from the ground, set on its feet like a man, and given a human mind. Suddenly another beast appeared, a second one that looked like a bear. It was raised up on one side with three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up, gorge yourself on flesh. After this, while I was watching, suddenly another beast appeared. It was like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. It had four heads and it was given dominion. After this, while I was watching in the night visions, suddenly a fourth beast appeared, frightening and dreadful and incredibly strong with large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and it trampled with its feet whatever was left. It was different from all the beasts before it and it had ten horns. While I was considering the horns, suddenly another horn, a little one, came up among them and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. And suddenly in this horn there were eyes like the eyes of a human and a mouth that was speaking arrogantly. As I kept watching, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days, God, took his seat. His clothing was white like snow and the hair of his head like whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire. Its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was convened and the books were opened. I watched. Then because of the sound of the arrogant words, the horn was speaking. As I continued watching, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was removed, but an extension of life was granted to them for a certain period of time. I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was deeply distressed within me. I mean, I would imagine so if you're watching this, right? And the visions in my mind terrified me. I approached one of those who were standing by, an angel, and asked him to clarify all this. So he let me know the interpretation of these things. These huge beasts, four in number, are four kings who will rise from the earth. But the holy ones of the Most High will receive the kingdom and possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. So that's the interpretation the angel gives, but Daniel's like, ah, I'm still confused. Then I wanted to be clear about the fourth beast, the one different from all the others, extremely terrifying with iron teeth and bronze claws, devouring, crushing, trampling with its feet, whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the one horn that came up before which three fell. The horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke arrogantly and that looked bigger than the others. As I was watching, this horn waged war against the holy ones and was prevailing over them until the Ancient of Days arrived and a judgment was given in favor of the Holy One of the Most High. For the time had come and the Holy Ones took possession of the kingdom. This is what he said. The fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, different from all the other kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth, trample it down and crush it. The ten horns are ten kings who will rise from this kingdom. Another king, different from the previous ones, will rise after them and subdue three kings. He will speak words against the Most High, 
and oppress the holy ones of the Most High. He will intend to change religious festivals and laws, and the holy ones will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will convene, and his dominion will be taken away to be completely destroyed forever. The kingdom, dominion, and greatness of the kingdoms under all of heaven will be given to the people, the holy ones of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will serve and obey him. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts terrified me greatly, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Crazy vision gives, uh, gives actually, though, the picture of reality. God uses this vision to communicate what's actually going on. And so this is what we're going to look at. What's really going on in history? We have to see reality. God pulls back the curtain. He pulls back the curtain, gives us the expose, gives us the behind the scenes of what's actually going on. Now, this is trippy, right? And up to this point in Daniel, chapters 1 through 6, if you read, and I know probably a lot of you don't do this, but if you read commentaries and scholars, pretty much everyone agrees. Oh, there's Daniel. Yep, he's put in a lion's den. God saves him. It's not that complicated, right? There's things that we learn. There's things that we can receive from it, but interpreting it is not that complicated. Once you get into weird visions and beasts and leopards and, and iron teeth, and even Daniel's like, what does this mean, right? So it gets to that point, and it is confusing. It is not normal. It's stuff that people disagree on, that there's different interpretations of, that there's things that people say, well, I think it means this, and I think it means this, and it kind of goes all over the place. But there still are things that we can see that help us. The first thing is this. A lot of people want to look at these things and identify every detail. So if you may never have read any of this, right? So you may have grown up, heard Daniel in the lion's den, heard Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, heard the handwriting on the wall, heard a lot of those stories, and, and kind of grew up knowing a lot of that stuff. But probably if you know a lot about this stuff, you're weird. And I don't, I, I'm not trying to insult you, but it's just, it's not the normal stuff that we all just kind of know. I grew up in churches that focused a lot on this kind of stuff, and, and it was stuff that was talked about all the time, but it's, it is strange, right? It's hard to understand. And a lot of people want to take all of the details that are in here and go, this means this, and this means this, and this means this, and this means this. But here's something we should observe. God gave Daniel a vision, not a spreadsheet, right? God gave him a vision that's complicated, that's this, and then I saw this, and, and Daniel doesn't go at the vision and go, oh, yeah, totally, that makes sense, that's going to happen at this year, that's going to happen with this thing. And people write books, and they say, this is this, and this is going to happen at this point, and Jesus is coming back on this day, and this is this. And that's not what God gave to Daniel. He didn't give him a timeline. He didn't give him a spreadsheet. He didn't give him a document. He gave him a crazy vision that even he's confused by. So I think, first of all, as we come to this, we have to approach it with some humility to say, this is odd, and we shouldn't expect that we can necessarily identify each single thing. What God does, this is just something I found, what God does is give him a vision. This is not you know, necessarily what it looked like, but he gives him this crazy thing. 
And we can look at that and go, well, there's the bear, and that means this. And, and maybe some of that might be true, but it is a vision. And even after the vision, even after it's explained, maybe it kind of looked like this. That's one of my things. That's a Demogorgon from uh, Stranger Things. I thought maybe it looked like this. Maybe that's what he was seeing, but we'll stick with this one, okay? And even, even after the vision, this is what Daniel said. My spirit's deeply distressed. The vision's terrified me. The thoughts terrified me. My face turned pale. So even after he sees it, and even after it's explained, Daniel doesn't go, oh, I get it, cool. Right? Which is kind of what we should expect. That if God pulls back the curtain on history and says, here's what's really going on, we shouldn't think, oh, now I understand, and we're just totally calm, and oh. Like, I've never watched these shows, but I, I see them pop up, like on Netflix, that there's like the making of a killer, or the serial killer mind, and things like that, right? Now, I don't think if you watch that, you're going to have peace. Oh, now I understand the mind of a serial killer. Oh. But a lot of times we think if we understood it all and could identify it all, then we'll be like, oh, okay, great. That's not what happens with Daniel. God shows him it all, and now he's white-faced and freaking out. He's, he's terrified because it's a crazy vision. Now, even though I don't necessarily think you can identify each single thing, I would say probably most commentaries in our tradition would at least say something like this that it really matches up with the first vision that we saw where Daniel interpreted it to Nebuchadnezzar with the statue. And if you weren't here, I can't go through all that, but God gives him this vision of a statue representing the kingdom of Babylon. And Babylon did actually identify themselves with uh, a lion with wings. There's a first kingdom that's going to be there, a second kingdom, probably the, the Medo-Persian empire, then a third kingdom, Greece, and then a fourth kingdom, Rome. Probably that is, so here's kind of what I, there's things that are all over the place. If you Google on the internet, you'll find all sorts of stuff. But most scholars, commentators in our tradition are going to either say one of two things. They're either going to say this, it's not supposed to be identified with anything. The point is, this is just world history. World history is always going to be the rising and falling of various kingdoms and that they are beasts. Or it's going to say something like this that this really matches up with the first vision from Daniel, and there's these four specific empires that happen, and then Jesus comes in the Roman Empire. When the Roman Empire is destroyed, the ten horns doesn't necessarily mean ten exact kingdoms, but it's representative, a representative number to say, as the Roman Empire broke, different kingdoms all around the world kind of rise up. And then when you get to the little horn, some people think that was a, a leader that already came, perhaps Nero, perhaps Domitian, one of the Roman emperors that was this evil, arrogant, blasphemous emperor that then was destroyed. Other people think that's the future Antichrist that one day will come. Other people think that maybe it's kind of a representation of both. It's this kind of prototypical Antichrist represented in some world leader that's already happened. Nero, Domitian, someone like that. Um, and representative of a future leader that will rise up, that will hate God's people, persecute God's people. But again, I, I think this is probably pretty close, what I would say, but he didn't give him a spreadsheet. And he didn't say, the little horn, that guy is Andrew, 
he's coming in 2027. Or he, he didn't say that, right? He gives him an image of a horn with a mouth and weird eyes, and he didn't give him a name and a middle name and a last name and a year. He gave him weird images. That's, so that has to say something to how we approach the text with humility. But, okay, all of that stuff, what's the point? What is the point? What is the point that we need to see of what's really true about what's going on in history? And what's really true of what's really going on in history is this. Huge beasts, ten horns, ten kings. God gives a vision saying, you know what's actually happening in the world as you look around? It's ruled by beasts. Whether that's Babylon, Persia, Rome, current empires, it's ruled by beasts. It's ruled by people that use their power arrogantly and evil. When you talk about horns, a horn is a symbol of strength. Think about animals with horns rhinoceros and even rams and elk and animals with horns are powerful right it wasn't a vision of bunnies and goldfish it's it's these crazy beasts with horns to say it's ruled our world is ruled by powers of evil our world is ruled by monsters it's ruled by beasts that are filled with greed that are filled with hatred that are filled with it, it says gouge the flesh, devour the flesh, go out and destroy. Our world is ruled by beasts. That's what has always been true and what will always be true until Jesus returns. And so here's what this means for us. Don't be naive. What's really going on in history, don't be naive. Don't look at the world around us where we live. Don't look at the world around us globally. And be naive and think that, you know, everything is fine. Everything's good. Behind the scenes, there is greed. Behind the scenes, there is corruption. Behind the scenes, there are people with bad motives that don't serve God. That is what is happening. And I'm not saying that every single person in every single position of power is evil and secretly they're a four-headed leopard. I'm not saying that. But we should know that our world and our kingdoms that exist, they're not committed to saying, we're trying to honor God and follow him. That they are beasts. That's what the vision helps Daniel see and helps us see, is that the world powers that exist are ultimately against God. And we shouldn't be naive by that. Sometimes I talk to people, and I've had family members and friends and and especially kind of during COVID, where we get kind of caught up in different conspiracies, okay? And I know if you believe it, you don't think it's a conspiracy, you think it's true. But we say, oh, I think this is happening, and the vaccine's the mark of the beast, or this thing, and this thing. And I don't believe that, but I believe it's worse than that. I believe that there's four-headed leopards, and I believe that there's lions with wings, you know? And not literally speaking, but metaphorically speaking. And so... This can even help us, actually. And even if you're someone inclined to think, what if this is actually happening? What if secretly this is happening? What if I watch National Treasure and I know that the Illuminati and the Masons, they rule everything? What, what if we kind of think that? This actually helps us to say, you know what? I don't know everything that's going on, but I know it's bad. I don't know everything that's going on, but the vision that God gives of the world is that we should expect that there's evil and corruption and power and greed and anti-godness 
in every kingdom that will ever come. That's what we should believe and expect. This helps us not to be naive and not to think, if I figure it out, if I can figure out with my chart and my graph and my Googling and my Reddit deep searching and my dark web search, if I can figure out, then what? Then you can stop it? Then you can make it different? God has said, this is what exists. This is reality. So it helps us not to be naive. It helps us to see what's really going on in history is that there are evil people with power that are committed to doing things against God's people. And that will be the case forever until Jesus returns, which means we shouldn't just mindlessly consume the world around us. We shouldn't just mindlessly consume entertainment and literature and beliefs and values and just think it's neutral. We shouldn't believe the world is neutral and Jesus is positive. We should understand that the world is ruled by powers and people, whether consciously or unconsciously, that are acting against God's kingdom. That's what's really going on in history. It also means this, that there is going to therefore be constant conflict. There's going to be constant conflict between God's people and the world. That's not going to stop until Jesus comes back. That's part of what this vision shows. It's not a leopard rose from the ground and then it was defeated and we're good to go. It's showing. I saw one beast. Oh, finally, that beast is gone. And then another beast came that was worse. Oh, finally, that one's gone. And then another beast. And then it spread out into ten beasts. Oh, my gosh. It, it's constant conflict. That's what we should expect. That's what we should understand to be happening, which helps us because of this. It makes it so we're not surprised. Do you get surprised or freak out when you experience or see or read about the evil, the corruption, the greed, the sin. I'm not saying you should be callous and not care, but we also shouldn't be surprised. When God gives this vision, he's saying this is the constant conflict that's going to happen between the kingdom, kingdoms of the world and between God's kingdom. And we shouldn't be surprised, which if we're not surprised, it helps you not to be anxious and freak out either. You say, hey, look what's happening over here. Okay. Well, I understand. doesn't mean we like it. It doesn't mean we're okay with it. But it means we go, yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense if there's constant conflict between God's kingdom and the kingdoms of the world. God tells us that this is what the world's like. Why? To help us know, to have the right expectations. I told you last week that I kind of just recently started watching the show my brother told me about on Netflix called Alone, where people are dropped into the wilderness and they have to survive. So they're just dropped there with grizzly bears and mountain lions, and they just have to figure it out. They got to make their own fishing poles and whatever else. They got to build shelter. They have to survive. And all of them have said, yeah, you know what? We've been trained. We know the right skills, how to hunt. We know how to uh, build shelter. We know how to fish. We know how to do these things. But mainly, it's a mental game. Mainly, it's what, what is my mind going into this? If I expect, oh, this is going to be really easy, then you're immediately going to tap out. You have to have the right mental understanding because if you understand what to expect, 
it allows you, when it comes, to have a different kind of non-anxious presence in the middle of it. That's part of what God is giving us here. He's saying, let me tell you what's really going on in history. There's going to be constant conflict. So be prepared for that. Don't be naive and just think that everything is neutral. God is giving us a gift with this to help us endure. So there you go. That's what's really going on in history. Now you know. You don't have a spreadsheet. You don't know that the, that the Antichrist's name is you know, Andrew or something, but it's, you, you know this. What's really going on with God? I think that's a question sometimes we ask because we look around the world and you do see headlines and you do see different things happening and can feel like this is, this is awful. Four-headed beasts and dragons and horns and crushing and devouring and being trampled upon. And sometimes we then say, okay, where's God? Have you ever asked that? Have you ever felt that? Whether it's in your life or as you look around the world, where's God? What's God doing? Why is God letting that happen? Why is God letting this happen? Why is God not doing something about this? Where is God? What, we may not say it like this. What's really going on with God? I, I have an extra in in there. What's really going on in with God? Add as many of those as you can in. On in the with God. <clears throat> What's really going on with God? Where is he? What is he doing? I know I've felt that before at different times in my life, whether it's been with me or as I look at the world or with friends. What's going on with God? You know what it tells us? It says he's on the throne. The Ancient of Days, that's God, took his seat. That means as we look around at the world and we see sometimes, or we look around at our lives and we see and we feel chaos, God is on the throne, which means that he's not sleeping. He hasn't forgotten. He isn't surprised. He isn't powerless. God is in control on the throne. Now, that's what's true. We can still say, yeah, but then why did he allow this in my life? And why does he allow this over here? And why did he let this happen to all of these people? And why did, and we've got all sorts of questions, right? And from the throne, the Ancient of Days doesn't say, let me answer this, let me answer this, let me answer this. He doesn't do a Q&A session. But you see him on the throne. You see the Ancient of Days on the throne, ruling, reigning. I don't know why God does all the things he does or why God doesn't do all the things that he doesn't do. I don't know. I don't understand. He's God. I don't understand the Internet. Do you understand the Internet? Do you understand how it works and how one information gets to here and how, I, I mean, some of you are probably, you know, developers and like, yes, I totally understand it. Okay. You know Al Gore personally. You know how he built it. Okay. I don't understand how it works. I don't hardly understand how a spray can works. Hairspray. How did that happen? I don't, I, I don't get it. So how am I going to understand the ancient of days sitting on the throne? Like the more complicated something or someone is, the harder it is to understand, right? And listen to me, it is okay for you to say, God, I don't understand why you're doing this. That's okay. That's just humility. It's okay for you to say, God, I don't get it. Paul says in the letter uh, of 2 Corinthians, as he's writing to the church and talking about all these kind of bad things that have happened to him, he says that we are perplexed 
We're confused, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed. We're confused. Paul's saying, I, I don't get everything that God is doing. I am perplexed, but I'm not despairing, he says. And that's the place that the Christian can be. We can say, God, I don't understand what you're doing, but I believe that you're on the throne. I believe that you are more complicated than my brain can understand. I trust. See, it says he's on the throne, but then it also says about him that he is got clothing that's white as snow and hair that's white as wool. That's to say that he is pure. So clothing that's pure white is to say he's pure. He's good. On the throne, he's not incompetent. He is pure. He's good. And he's wise. That's what the gray hair, the white hair is to symbolize. It's God is perfectly wise and he's perfectly pure and good and in control. And if we trust that, that allows us to then say, okay, I don't get it, but I'm not in despair. Because if you're good and if you're in control and if you're wise, I can say, okay, I submit to you and what you're doing. One day we will see. One day we'll understand. But we don't right now. You know, e even, even some of these kingdoms, and I'm not saying this explains everything, but even some of this, if you look at, you had the Persian Empire that came and conquered Babylon. And if they hadn't done that, and think there's a bunch of people that die from it, and there's a bunch of evil that happens from it, and Belshazzar's an evil king. It, you have the Persian Empire that comes and conquers Babylon. But if they hadn't done that, then God's people wouldn't have actually been able to rebuild the temple and go back to Jerusalem because it's the Persian king that allows them to do that, that says, actually, I want you to go back, and he pays for the whole thing. And then the Greek empire comes and overtakes everything. Tons of people die, and all sorts of awful things happen. But because of Greece overtaking everything, everybody then began to have a common language. And when everyone had a common language, we were able to get the New Testament written in a language that everybody could understand. And then you have the Roman Empire that comes. And it's worse than any empire before it. And it's awful and all sorts of things. But they built roads. They're famous for the Roman roads. They built roads all over the empire. And they had what was called the Pax Romana, which is Roman peace, which meant that it, people were able to travel freely, which allowed for the spread of the gospel when you hear all these kind of missionary journeys that are happening. So I'm not saying that explains and makes everything okay, or, but we can see sometimes looking thousands of years back, okay, that happened which allowed for this. That happened which allowed for this. Probably even in your life, there's certain things that you can look back, and in the moment, you may have been just totally mad at God or totally confused, maybe even despairing, and 10 years later, maybe 20 years later, you can begin to look back and go, I still don't understand. I still would have chosen something different. But I see how this led to this, led to this. God's on the throne, and he's good, and he's wise. He knows more than we do. He's better than we are. And so he sees this image. And the image, you know, again, this isn't perfect. It's just whatever. But it's an image of God on the throne. It's an image that he is using to say, let this, sometimes it's not even words that we need. Let this image fill your mind. 
Let the image of God on the throne, the ancient of days, let that fill your mind when you're confused about what's going on with him. Let that fill your mind when you're confused about what's going on in your life. So that's the first thing, what's going on with God is he's on the throne. The second thing is that he judges. What's going on with God is he's in control and he's on the throne, but also he judges. Look at some of the image. He's, he's, his throne has flaming fire, and it's got wheels with blazing fire. And that's cool. I kind of want to make my explorer like that, wheels with blazing fire, right? That's way better rims than what I have. But I think that's just to say that God's judgment keeps go- it goes everywhere. It's not like something is happening in that corner in the world and God can't get there. He's got a hyper-powered wheelchair throne that goes everywhere. And his judgment will go to every place. A river of fire is flowing from his presence. And then it uses this language of the court is convened. Meaning, one day God will say, the court is now in session. And the books are open. And judgment comes. The court convenes. Dominion will be taken away. Evil will be completely destroyed forever. God is judge. That is something that we are told. Listen, the world is chaos. doesn't take that long looking at the news to see all the evil, all the suffering, all the tragedy. You felt some of it in your life, and we see it happening out there all the time. But God is judge. We were at... Um, we were at court recently uh, for adoption of uh, Daniel in our church, and um, the judge had said, not the judge, excuse me, the, the other people, I don't know what they are, but they had said, hey, you can let your kids kind of run around and play around in the courtroom and just kind of do whatever, and then when the judge came in, that stopped. Because when the judge convenes the court and the books are open, There might be all sorts of chaos happening. There might be all sorts of kids running around and all sorts of things happening. But when the judge enters the room, court's convened. And it means it's over. It's now time for the judgment. Now, this was a positive judgment. But when God comes, the river of fire flows. And there is a day coming. And I'm not trying to be all hellfire and brimstone preacher here and fit a stereotype. But it's what the Bible says. That there is a day coming. When the judge sits down and all of a sudden the court convenes. Think about if you ever watch Judge Judy. She walks in. Silence. There might be all sorts of arguing. You did this and you took my boyfriend. I'm going to sue you. And well, you stapled something wrong. I'm going to sue you. And then Judge Judy sits down and people shut up. The court convenes. The books are open. And the river of fire flows. That's what is coming. What's going on with God? Listen, he's in control and he's on the throne. And even though we look out in the world and there's awful things, there is stuff. And I don't know what it is. Probably different, different people in here. There's different things that we see in the world that hit our hearts in different ways. There's different things in your life where people have hurt you or wounded you or betrayed you or assaulted you or done awful things to you. And you want justice to come. And we can say, what's going on with God? Why isn't stuff happening? The Bible tells us it will. God is just. His timeline is just different than ours. But the day will come. The day will come when the self-righteous are judged. The day will come 
The day will come when the proud are judged, when murderers are judged. The day will come when the sexually immoral are judged, when the abortion industry is judged, when racist systems are judged. The day will come when every immorality and every disobedience to God's will is judged. And different ones of us probably look at different headlines and feel like, oh, I can't believe that's happening. How is that going on? And different things that we feel, different injustices, different systems, different greed, sexual abuse by pastors and priests and all sorts of things that we see and go, this is awful. And different parts of our hearts based on our upbringing and based on our uh, just the way we were raised and what we're exposed to feel it in different ways. Some headlines we skip over, other headlines we focus in on. But the river of fire will come. God will bring justice to this world. That will happen. In every corner, the wheels will go. And every justice, not just the ones that we care about, not just the ones that this room, this side of the room cares about, and this side, justice will come everywhere. That will happen. And the monsters will be exposed. And God will bring his justice. Listen, that gives me great hope. And it should to you also. Because I can't do everything, and you can't do everything. It doesn't mean we're powerless. We should, the Bible says, care about injustices that are being done. We should do our part. But there's so much that we can't do. There's so much when you look at the numbers of whatever it is, and you go, that is insurmountable. And there's so much power behind this, and so much backing, and so much try to fix this thing, but this thing is there. And there's all these systems built around evil. And it's hard. But God will bring his justice. That will happen. And we can rest knowing that's true. Now, here, here's what this means. It means first what I just said, that we can rest. But it also means that we leave vengeance to him. We leave God, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We leave vengeance to God. We don't have to feel like I've got to kill everybody and fight against all. We, we can work for good in the world but we also can leave vengeance to God. And our job is actually to love our enemies. Our job is actually to love our enemies. That's what Jesus said. He says, you have enemies. You have people that want to persecute you. You have people that want to hurt you. Okay, what do I do, Jesus? Tell me. Love them. What? Bless them. What? Pray for them. We can actually have a posture that submits to God and says, your vengeance is coming, and so I can love people. I can rest. It also means we should turn from our sin. That if we're not aligned with where God is, we should turn from our sin and say, God, I want to align with you. I don't want to be on the receiving end of your judgment. I want to be on the receiving end of your love and experience all of your grace and mercy. Martin Luther King Jr. in his speeches would at different times quote from the prophet Amos that talked about justice rolling down like rivers. And I love that, that image. It's very similar to this. To talk about justice will flow like rivers, like fire. Justice will come. That is what God promises to us. So what's really going on with God is that he is in control and that he judges. Final thing is what's really going on with us. What's really going on What's really going on in with us, actually? <clears throat> Even more important, what's really going on with us? What does this show about our place in all of this? 
So you've got these kingdoms, okay? You've got the kingdom of the lion with wings. By the way, these are your Halloween costumes if you haven't figured it out yet. You've got the four-headed leopard. I really would love to go as a four-headed leopard. And people are like, what is that? Well, let me tell you. Daniel 7 says <clears throat> you've got the winged lion, the four-headed leopards. You've got the weird, crazy, ten-horned beast that's different from all of them. You've got the bear. You've got all of these beasts, okay, that it shows of these kingdoms. And then it moves from that and then says, okay, now there's another kingdom. But what's that one? It's a son of man. So you see there's all these beasts that are devouring humanity, that are crushing humanity, that are eating humanity. But then you have one that comes, the fifth kingdom, the son of man. That's what it says. It says, one like a son of man, and he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Now, son of man just means human. That's what it means, just like son of Adam, just means human. But yet, this one is one like a son of man. So there's something that's human, and yet there's a difference where he approaches the ancient of days. He approaches God's throne, God the Father's throne, and he is given kingdom and glory and dominion forever and ever. And it's, it's not just a man. And yet, he is a man. He is one of us. So you've got all these beasts, which obviously are against us, but then now there's another kingdom that's one of us. Okay, good. Finally, a kingdom ruled by one of us, ruled by a human. That's good news. He's one of us, but he's better than us. He's more than us. He's on our side, and yet better than us. Jesus uses this title, Son of Man. It's his favorite title that he uses. He uses it over 81 times in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He says, I am the Son of Man. He says, the Son of Man is here. He uses a lot of this Daniel 7 language. It's part of why they accused him of blasphemy, is because they knew that the Son of Man used in this way didn't just mean human, but meant this character here, God. Jesus says he is the one that brings the kingdom. Jesus when he came to earth, said the kingdom is here. The kingdom has arrived. It didn't come the way that they thought it would come. It didn't come with destruction and war, overpowering Rome. It came spiritually. But Jesus arrives saying the kingdom is here. He, when he came, he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That's true now. And it's true one day that it will fully come. It is started or inaugurated some people will say, but not consummated. The kingdom is here now, Jesus said, when the Son of Man came. It's here, but it hasn't fully come. It hasn't fully been established. But here's what this means for us. First, it means he's for us. He understands us. If, if you're watching any of the kind of ads that pop up as you're watching whatever show you're watching or all these ads because it's election season right now, right? And usually they try to pitch the politician, whoever it is, as one of you, one of us, right? One that I've seen recently is a lady standing in a field, and she's, I grew up in rural Colorado, and so I am for, I can't even remember who it is, but I'm for the people, I know the hardworking, I grew up on food stamps, and I went to college first in my family, and I, and she's trying to say, I'm not making fun of this, by the way, if you're like, that's my aunt, I'm not making fun of her, and she says, I, I am one of the people. Right? Because if we can trust they are one of us, then we believe that they will have our interests in mind and they will be for us. 
So when you've got all these beasts, and then you've got one that is a son of man, that's to say, I understand you. I'm for you. I am one of you, and yet better. That's not what the political ads say. I'm one of you, and better. That would, you probably wouldn't vote. But for Jesus, he shows up and says, I get it. I understand humanity. And I'm not here to devour. I'm here to serve. The Son of Man came to serve. I'm not here to crush. I'm here to give life. I'm not here to steal and kill and destroy. I'm here to build you up. I'm here to bless you, to love you, to give you mercy. I'm not a beast. I'm one of you, and yet I'm better. And I come to give life. And so what we need to see about us is that reality is we have that king and we are his and it says of him that he gives the kingdom the holy ones that's christians from of god will receive the kingdom the holy ones it says this three different times the holy ones took possession of the kingdom and later the kingdom dominion and greatness of the kingdoms under all of heaven will be given to the people so jesus comes and he gives us the kingdom now listen, that has already happened if you're a Christian. You have been given the kingdom of God. And it will happen one day fully, where all evil will be eradicated and a renewed heaven and earth will come. So here's what this means to us. You have been given the kingdom. This is what we need to see about what's really going on with us. If you're a Christian, you've been given the kingdom. Jesus' love, his grace, his ethic, his righteousness, his justification, his sanctification, all of what it means. He has said, I've brought you in to my kingdom. That's part of what the church is. Part of what's really going on here in this room and in our church is we're a part of a new kingdom. We're a part of Jesus's kingdom together that we belong. And as we follow our king, we actually experience kingdom life together. That it's not just good people trying to be good to one another. It's people coming together that have received the kingdom from God and say, we are now living as a part of what it means where Jesus rules and reigns. And one day, that will happen more fully, which means this. Whatever you're going through, it gets better. Like history, what's really going on is kind of scary and monstrous. But what's also true is it gets better. What's also true is your future is 100% secure. That you can live right now experiencing the benefits of the kingdom. Not fully, but you can experience a community of love and grace and forgiveness and serving and, and building one another up. You can experience that now. And one day, you will fully have it. Whatever life looks like here for you, your future is awesome. Whatever it looks like right now, your future is totally awesome. It is secure. It is filled with rest, filled with justice, filled with love, filled with peace. Whatever's happening now is just now. Things get better. Sometimes that breaks in, in here, and sometimes it's just the hope of that's what Jesus is going to do. That's what's really going on with me. So, this whole study that we have been looking at says that we want to be faithful. 
We want to be faithful as God's people as we find ourselves in Babylon, and it's hard to be faithful. And there's all sorts of different pieces that God uses to encourage our faithfulness. But this chapter and some of the subsequent chapters that happen are saying we have to see reality. We have to see what's really going on if we want to be faithful, not just be fooled by what we see. Here God shows us behind the scenes the reality of the world. We're going to take communion in just a moment. If you're a Christian, we take communion every week. You can grab a little cup in the back if you, if you didn't. And we take the bread and we take the juice and we remember reality. We participate in reality and say, no matter what's going on out there, no matter what's going on in here, this is what is true. What is true is that Jesus is king. What is true is that Jesus entered into the dark kingdoms of this world and was devoured by the beasts on the cross for you and I. And yet, they didn't win. And the Bible calls the resurrection the first fruits of what will come because the darkness of this world, the beasts of this world, killed God. But that wasn't the end. Jesus wins. Jesus establishes his kingdom. That's the first fruits. It's the foretaste. It's what will happen in your life, and it's what will happen in our life, that God's kingdom will one day fully be established. So when we take communion, we're saying, my sins are forgiven. The worst that this world has to offer, Jesus took for me on my behalf. And I'm in his kingdom. I'm free. I can see reality. I can live in the reality of a good and loving king. So, take some time and ask God to help you see correctly, to build your faith, to give you courage, to maybe confess your sin if you know where you have just kind of aligned with the kingdoms of this world. Confess your sin and receive the forgiveness through his broken body and bloodshed for you. And ask him to help you live with a vision of reality. Let's pray. Also, I will be in the back if anyone would like prayer for healing or anything going on in their life. God, I thank you that you give us this weird chapter, that you give us this bizarre vision, and yet, God, maybe for some of us, we, we need that even more than a story. We need a weird vision to, to help us understand what's going on with you and with us and with the world. And so I pray that you would use this, not to freak us out, but to encourage us to build our faithfulness in you, to build our faith in you. Help us to see you correctly. Thank you that reality is that you are the King of Kings, that reality is that you are the Son of Man that knows us and is for us. Let the truths that we heard Go deeper into our hearts as we take communion and sing these few songs. In your name, Jesus. Amen.